Uh, what's up, everybody? This is your captain speaking, Tom Sanders of Heretic Show, coming at you live from Oxford. Uh, this is just a quick introduction to today's episode. Um, today's episode, entitled Burma's Days, is focused on Myanmar and Burma and what is going on there at the moment. Uh, my guest today is Minset Hain, who is a Burmese gentleman of my acquaintance. And today we talk about a little bit about the history of Burma, about the current situation, what the hell is going on over there, and what we think the outcomes might be. Uh, now, the first thing to mention is that neither of us are experts in this more than the next guy. Uh, I lived there for a while. He is Burmese. He has, you know, knows some contacts and knows his way around the country. Um, but with that said, please take everything we say with a grain of salt. We're not journalists. We're not experts. We're just doing this out of um, a desire to spread the word and let people know about what's going on. Um, with that in mind, today's episode is split down the middle into two parts. The first part, part one, is focused on the history of Burma and Myanmar over the last hundred years. Um, a bit about British colonialism, a bit about the legacy of that, some of the, the, the horrible stuff that the people of Myanmar have gone through and how it's led to today's situation with the military junta um, and the horrific scenes that we're seeing today in the streets. The second part of the episode is focused on everything that's happened since that fateful day on February the 1st when the military seized power, um, some of the atrocities, some of the events, and our prognosis for what might come out of this and a few things that we'd like to say uh surrounding what's going on and maybe what people can do to try and improve the current situation which really is uh i think it's fair to say pretty dire um so with that in mind please treat the episode in two parts feel free to skip part one if you feel well acquainted with burmese history or if you just listen to one maybe part two is the one to go for uh the music we'll be using today comes from some burmese punk artists in myanmar um culture shock rebel riot and a few other dudes uh playing with them uh you can find a link to the song in the bio uh or at least the lyrics to the song and we'll try and get a link out as soon as possible you'll also find a link to minset's art um to the meme page that he talks about in part two um and as always you can find us on youtube instagram and all these other channels um and you can email me at theHereticsPodcast.com, theHereticsPodcast at gmail.com um it's a bit of a rough one. We try and keep it light. We try and keep it fun. Um, we do our best, but this is heavy stuff. Um, and the last thing I'll say is, guys, if you do share an episode, make it this one, please. Uh, there's actually a reason behind this one and something a bit bigger than me and my little show. So please do share this um, to people who maybe are interested and sympathetic to what's happening in Myanmar, but maybe don't really understand just what, how we got to this situation, what the hell is going on, and what the possible routes out of this current situation are. So without any further ado, thank you so much to Minset for his appearance. Thank you to Kara for helping me with the editing. Thank you to everyone who's contributed to make The Heretic Show a real thing that people could listen to on the internet. That's it from me, everybody. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, part two will be coming soon. Uh, much love stay safe out there um uh yeah that's it from me all right enjoy uh what's up everybody how's it going uh welcome once again to the heretic show uh with me your host tom sanders um today's episode is um it is in fitting for the show but it's maybe a little bit different to some of the stuff we've done before um we are focusing today on something that is um well is is quite close to my heart from my own personal experience uh and also for my guest today uh something a bit more heavy than maybe stuff we've looked at in the past what we hope today's episode will do 
is give you some perspective about something that you may or may not know a lot about, that being the situation in Myanmar at the moment, um, and maybe kind of help you to get an idea of what's going on uh, behind the scenes at the moment, and maybe some ideas about what people could do. We don't want to beat you over the head with misery for an hour and a half until you don't want to listen to a podcast again for the rest of your life. So our aim will be to keep things uh, as light and interesting as we can, um, but to speak from our perspectives, our limited perspectives about what's going on. And uh, yeah, do what we can for this really, uh, really messed up situation. Um, so, so please do try and enjoy the podcast, guys. It will be uh, hopefully at moments you will be able to smile. Um, if it's too much for you, turn it off and uh, watch some Teletubbies by all means. Um, all right. Well, with all of that out of the way, uh, it's really a pleasure for me to introduce uh, my guest today coming at me from, from London uh, is Min. What's up, Min? Hey, everyone. Hi, hi Tom. Yeah, I've been okay. Um, so should I introduce myself? Please, mate. Go ahead. Yeah. So my name is Min. I'm a well. I, I used to I used to say I'm a filmmaker, but I don't even do that anymore. I basically work for a media company and like I run YouTube channels for a living. Um, but on the side, I would take like photos and stuff like that. But my main job right now is managing documentary channels on YouTube. Cool. But, you know, I mean, you've, you've done some art, you've done some curation, you've, you've made some visual art and stuff in the past. You've been very humble right now, but, you know, you're, you're, an, artist, you're an artistic man. I've, I, try, I've yeah, I try to do like every random things that I can get my hand on. Yeah, which yeah. is nice for me because most people have to sort of explain how to plug in a mic and, you know, all of that. But Mim was way ahead of the game here. He's got his fluffy mic. He's got his fluffy, <laughs> fluffy fleece. You know, the man's warm. He's insulated. He's got the tech. Yeah, you know, this, this house is so cold, man. So we yeah. got lucky and like got a really big house, but it's like old and like all the windows are like not working properly and stuff. And it's London, so it's just, yeah. Man, I swear so many English houses are just built <laughs> in like 1645 and it's paper thin. You can hear everything that happens next door. The wind goes right through them. It's drafty. Where, where in London are you? Uh, Kentish Town. Right, 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 right. So just for context, I've met you once before, right? Yeah. Uh, and and just for a couple of beers, um, because I, so for context, I lived in Myanmar for two, two and a half years. I was working for the British Council there, uh, mostly as a teacher. I did a little bit of journalism and hung out there. And we knew some of the same people, right? Yeah. yeah. We, and so, wait, was it? Yeah, I think I know a guy who know your ex or something like that. It was like, and there's like a few other people's, yeah. Yeah, I mean the the circle of like like international Burmese, I don't want to say kids, international young Burmese people. Let's put it like that. Maybe with yeah. connections to the UK is fairly small. Uh, we're talking about like throughout the podcast, I'm going to be trying to be careful about names and like dropping people's names and stuff because I yeah. don't know. I, I don't think the Tatmadaw subscribe to the Heretics. I think I probably would have noticed that. I don't think they're yeah. into like indie Oxford uh, podcast scene, but. The fact is, they do have like actual uh, technology. Um, I don't know. It's not worth. It's not worth taking a risk on this yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah, we so know people. We know people. Names. We're not going to mention names exactly. Uh, yeah. Maybe we'll give a shout out at the end to some some people, some bands and stuff. But yeah. the other thing to notice is that you might say, "Well, why, Tom? Tom, haven't you got like someone from Burma who's on the front line right now and actually knows what's going on in the streets?" And actually, to be honest, that was that was actually my original plan. I contacted, I think, five or six different people um, who I knew, ranging from kind of journalists to non-journalists. And uh, at the end of the day, it is not worth their safety to come on my little show and um, 
make a permanent recording of themselves talking honestly about the situation in Burma and politely they all basically said that that's just not not worth it and you know really that is completely within their right um so Min uh, like me has the advantage of being fairly far away from this stuff although Min I don't know man do you have family and stuff still in Myanmar basically my every like the rest of my family is still back home so my mom and dad my brother my grandma and all my cousins and shit, they're all back home. Uh, literally, oh, I'm man. the I, I like feel the survivor's guilt like every day just because I'm the only person who's outside right now from my family. Jesus Christ, dude. Okay, so all right. So before we get to that, because that's that's absolutely mad, let's just give a quick heads heads down overview of what's going on. And if you don't know what's going on, that's fine because the world's a big place and there's lots of misery in it. And if I hadn't lived there, I probably wouldn't know anything about the subjects anyway. And I, I wouldn't care. I certainly wouldn't be doing a podcast about it. So on the 1st of February, I think he's right, um, yeah. the, the, the Burmese military government, well, the, the Burmese military, the Tatmadaw, staged a violent coup where they overthrew the uh, civilian government of Myanmar and installed a state of emergency for one year, declaring martial law. That's the long, yeah. the long and the short of it, right? Yeah. Uh, now, this, this goes back to a long, if you want to depress yourself for a week, go on Wikipedia, type in Myanmar and have a look at the political history of the country. Uh, it sort of, it gets, for a while, Burma was the most powerful country in Southeast Asia. They, I think they, they, they messed up Thailand a couple of times. They were, you know, they were the kings. They had the gold. They were building temples. They were absolutely smashing it with the Pagan Empire and everything. Uh, the Mongols came. Things got a bit worse. Things declined. Things were doing pretty well until... Yeah, boys, the Brits showed up uh, one day in the form of our trading companies and basically through the Anglo-Burmese wars, uh, turned Myanmar into a vassal state, uh, disrespected the culture, disrespected the traditions, uh, stomped all over the country, extracted its resources, executed people who disagreed, and then one day said, good luck, we're out, peace, <laughs> and uh, vanished, leaving Myanmar with a power vacuum that was filled with a proxy government that was eventually annexed into a military junta uh, under Ne Win. Horrible, horrible, horrible years under the Burmese way of socialism. I mean, just just nightmarish stuff. Um, people, and of course, Ben, please jump in to correct me at any point. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I would like to add like one information in there. So basically, so we were under like British colonization for a while. And then the, the father of Aung San Suu Kyi, General Aung San, so he was basically just a student before, and then him and like a bunch of people went to Japan. That was around World War Two, I think. I'm 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 so bad with dates, by the way. But like from my, my like from my understanding, it's like he went to Japan to learn or like start an army, and then he came back, gathered the troops, and then tried to fight back the British. So some argued that because of the original military training that they got mm. was like World War II Japanese army, which is basically like fascist Japan. Mm -hmm. So this, the tactics that they use today, like going to the village, burning the, you know, burning the village, raping people, things like that. So that was like the original kind of training they got since those days. I mean, wow. that's what people say. But anyway, go on. 
that's I mean that's super interesting and I think where that gets interesting is is the closest thing that Myanmar has to like a hero uh because the other thing about Myanmar is that like what are there 12 distinct ethnic groups in Myanmar you've got yeah. your Kachin your Chin your 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 Rohingya it's Mon it's it's a complete it's baffling yeah. to most people you know there's a lot so, more so like a lot more that like fall through the crack never like even made it on the books and like for example like Rohingya it's like mm. Only then people are people in Burma are starting to find out about, you know, Rohingya existed as like one of the like Burmese, you know, like Myanmar people. Right. Because until like what, two, three years ago, most people in Burma wouldn't believe that Rohingyas were part of Burma. Right. They thought they were Bengali immigrants yeah. or, or whatever it was. Exactly. Right. And, and, and again, I mean, to, to add an extra layer of complexity, Myanmar is Burma in terms of the word we're using. My understanding is that we call it Burma because the British turned up and the, the Burma people, which from whom Aung San Suu Kyi, the current leader, is descended. The Brits, the Brits policy of uh, foreign expansion was to turn up somewhere, find one ethnic group that they could do business with, and basically say, right, you guys are going to be the ruling caste. We'll do business with you. The rest of the rest of everyone else, you know, can you can you can subjugate as you wish. And so the, the Burmese ruling class is mostly from the Burma ethnic group. Is that is that correct? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Burma people are like, yeah, they, they're like the main, uh, they're basically like the white people of <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Myanmar. Sure. Right, 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 right. Um, so, so I guess so. To go back to where we were talking about yeah. General Aung San. So Aung San is a legend. I mean, he is he is yeah. revered by the Burmese people because if you're conquered by a bunch of pasty bastards like the British, and eventually some dude comes back from military training and, and overthrows them and, and liberates the country, and I think the general consensus is that he was a decent dude by the standards of sort of uh, you know like by military leaders. But he he did successfully liberate and united uh, modern Myanmar until. Uh, he got got uh, assassinated. He, he got assassinated indeed by the. Please help me out here, man. So basically, basically, <laughs> the the story was like this: another Burmese guy called Uso uh, wanted to overthrow him, so like they went in and assassinated the cabinet. So like they were having a meeting, they went in with like a bunch of like machine guns and just like shoot everyone. And a very interesting story is my great grandfather was in the same room when Aung San got assassinated, because um, he was he was like one of the cap, like one of the minister in in Aung San, like the he was meant to be in like the very first government, but obviously Aung San got assassinated. He actually escaped by jumping out of the window nearby, but because he survived, he wasn't made into a martyr. Meter, right, Martha, Martha, yeah, 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 right. So things were going all right, and then, as you say, uh, in the in the Secretariat building, uh, which is still there today, the British colonial building, Amazon got 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 murdered by machine gun fire, and then things got pretty bad for a while. I think, and after that, right, was the Burmese way to socialism and they win and all of that stuff. Yeah. Or my dates right, yeah. So lots of misery, lots of crap for a long time, you know. The Burmese people for the 20th century has spent a lot of it living under military rule and military repression of various kinds until uh, I guess now we go to 1988, right? That's the next yeah. logical step, right? So Nguyen, maniac, talked to wizards, superstitious dude, uh, did all kinds of crazy occult stuff. 
banned the the currency and replaced it with a denomination nine yeah. currency like nine eighteen twenty seven my, my dad was in final year <laughs> of uni when that happened so yeah. he was he was a geology student so they were like out camping like you know finding rocks and whatnot and then they just declare like the money they had illegal so they literally had like no money and they didn't even know yeah. how to get back home it's, it's insane and, and so all the Myanmar's middle class who'd been saving money because no one trusted mm. the banks so people just like kept their money under their sofa cushions or under their bed right just stacks yeah. of chat were told overnight that their money was no longer legal tender and they had to get some goofy ass nine denomination chat note to, to to spend so they basically wiped out the Burmese middle class sort of back to square zero overnight oh man i mean really this stuff does get heavy after a while, after a while. <laughs> yeah so so anyway so basically that went on for a while until we reached 1988 where finally we get a little bit of um well, it's it's students, isn't it? It was nineteen eighty eight. Is this is the student led mostly yeah. rebellion in the history of rebellions? Where the, so the the other thing that's amazing about Myanmar, as someone was telling me the other day, is that before a lot of this, Myanmar's reputation and its universities for stuff like agriculture and engineering was extremely high, and people from like Singapore would go to Myanmar to study at some of the academic institutions. Um, like, is that right? Yeah. So Lee Kuan Yew, who is I want to say the father or the grandfather of the current prime minister of Singapore. He was he basically wrote in his like autobiography, like his biography, that one of his regret in his life was he didn't get a chance to study in Yangon University. Wow, wow. So That's those are the days, man. But- <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's 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 a bit like I guess it's a bit like Iran or somewhere, which had this like incredible thriving, you know, students and yeah. Yeah, and like then now Iran and then just, in the seventies uh, yeah. were like, like really cool, right? All the mini everyone. skirts, smoking yeah. cigarettes, you know, studying philosophy, all the things that you know I like, enjoy, you know, uh, and 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 then back to back to zero, and 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 there's there's a sense in which like this current situation, which we'll come to in a second, is like extra tragic because there's just this generation of kids who've who've had Pepsi and KFC and mobile games and like like a, 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 a Korean, Korean television you know it's and they're being taken back to like you know the 1970s anyway we'll, we'll come to that in a second so let's try and finish our slightly you know basic historiography so 1988 comes students yep. rise up they are crushed with absolutely horrific force i think it's like 5,000 or 15,000 or something a bunch of them just yeah. get machine gunned to death uh but there's enough pressure to force the military to hold democratic elections is that is that roughly right and sorry, I wanted to add this. Yeah, please. Nguyen famously said this on like an official TV announcement when the students were like, you know, protesting and like going violent and shit. So basically he said that um, there's no point shooting guns in the air. When I when we shoot, we're going to shoot straight at you. Yeah. He like yeah. said it on the t- telly. It's like crazy. But yeah, so what was your question? No, no, that's fine. I mean, it's a good point because actually it's echoed in the current situation because I've seen TikToks and Vines of like Burmese cops, uh, fucking Burmese pigs, like with live weapons being like, this is a real gun. This isn't like a rubber bullet gun. If I shoot yeah. you, I'm going to shoot you in the head. Like the crazy thing about social media is that you can just see like these psychopathic people announcing their intent to to murder children uh for on on social media yeah, you know it's, that is it's so surreal insane. when i start when i saw those tiktok videos as well it's just so surreal like yeah 
it's a lack of self-awareness and an awareness that there'll be no consequence for their stupidity. I mean, like we can talk about police in general. I mean, you just need a certain percentage of psychopaths in any given police force for it to end up it being, you know, being being dominated by a psychopathic mentality, which is, I think, is what's happening. So anyway, let's desperately try and finish this. So 1988 comes, it's brutally put down, but yeah. there's enough pressure that comes from this horrific. I mean, people are just like, there's just bodies piled up in the streets. Uh, and so the military basically says, OK, fine, we'll have uh, some democratic elections. And here, I guess, is where we should probably mention the person who, if you know anything about Burmese, politics you will be familiar with which is uh door Aung San Suu Kyi uh door is honorific it means like auntie or our lady or something like that and yeah. she is the daughter of the guy we just mentioned General Aung San is that correct man yeah yeah um so maybe could you explain like to the Burmese people what she represents and why she's occupied her this incredible place in the nation's consciousness so her story is interesting because when Aung San got assassinated she moved to England and she actually, you know, had a pretty British life up until when she's like, I don't, I don't remember how old she was, but she basically got a husband and two kids at that point. And her mom died and she went back for her mom's funeral. And then she saw the situation of the country and she decided to basically stay. And right. Yeah, she basically left her entire family and two kids, you know, to fight for a bunch of Burmese people that she never, like, met before. And uh, initially, she was... So she, she's a huge threat to the to the Tatmadaw. When we say the Tatmadaw, we mean the, the Burmese military, basically. It's yeah. the same, same thing. Now, because she's the daughter of uh, the country's unifying hero, and because she's foreign educated, and because, well... She's charismatic and, you know, yeah. the, the question of her, like, moral character is beyond me, for sure. It's yeah. a complicated issue, you know, yes. and I don't want to get too too into the weeds here. She was an absolute liberal darling of the Western uh, media for a while. You know, my RE teacher had a poster of her on her wall and a lot of institutions really held her up as a hero. The Rohingya question made all this a lot more complicated, but we're getting yeah. ahead of ourselves once again. So she is a huge threat to them because she's someone who can lead the Burmese people and will yeah. unite the Burmese people because people respect and her. And because people... of her father's name and like how much Burmese people like, Burmese people have this like idealization of, you know, a person thing like, and that's been like deeply embedded into Burmese people's mind since like the kings and queens, you know, mm. we always like to sort of have one person that to look up to and basically believe that that person is God and will do everything for us, which I is probably not a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think it's not just Burmese people who like to believe that, you know, one person will, will save them. Uh, after, after getting such a shitty hand of like awful people for so long, I think we can all agree that she is a much better option than all the kind of psychopathic generals and, creepy weirdos that otherwise have dominated Burmese politics. So, okay. So the military eventually agrees to hold elections um, yeah. where the military, so the military have their political party, which is the, can you remind me of what it's called? Like, I don't know, like the strength and unity bunch of assholes party. Or uh, I like just, I just know, know them as USDP, but I don't yeah. even know what it stands for. 
We yeah. call it the green party. That's the right, right, right. It's like development and prosperity or some development and progress. Yeah. Whatever, dude. You know, yeah. it's like, do you want to vote for like the the military <laughs> dictatorship? And then there's the NLD, which is the National League for Democracy, which is Aung San Suu Kyi's party, which basically says, uh, yeah, like you know, democratic reform, softening of the military constitution you know investing some money in education and healthcare and blah 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 and all, and all that yeah. sort of stuff so my understanding is the first election the military basically stole it they basically just like completely you know people were terrified to vote the un were like this is this is a joke this is not a proper election and it yeah. just not much happened but it was an election so that was like some progress and then so just before I moved to Myanmar, there was the second election, which was, I think, UN moderated and more closely controlled. And in this election, the NLD did extremely well, uh, yeah. like 78. So yeah. In the 88 election, they won, but right. basically, Nguyen wasn't too happy with it. And then obviously the whole uprising happened, and then she went into house arrest for, I want to say, 15 years, 20 years. Yeah like a long long time yeah yeah that's i mean that's an important part of the story she was under house arrest uh for a long time because uh, during the house arrest they the mil the military government called themselves as like we're just gonna basically keep control of the country until we can practice proper democracy according to them so while while she was under house arrest they wrote the constitution which is basically which became the problem of this coup right based the coup happened because of that constitution that's and that's interesting so the I, I don't so from what i yeah so so the first interesting thing about the constitution is that you need you need uh i think you need something like 76 percent of the people in the parliament to vote to change the constitution but yeah 25 percent of all of the seats of the parliament are permanently held by the military so yeah. it's like if me me and one other guy got together and we made the rule that we can just beat him up and take his money, but you need to have a vote of three people to change the rule, right? So yeah. he's screwed. There's nothing he can do. We we have the majority. And so the military have made it so that they cannot, the, the, the constitution can't be changed. And this is where we start getting into the thorny stuff of the modern day of people saying, why why is Aung San Suu Kyi defending the military? And so, so yeah, so I think so. Okay, the NLD win a landslide election. They become... The leader, she becomes the what's her title? The 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 chance the, the state state ch ch councillor state yeah. councillor. That sounds good. Yeah, it's yeah. Kind of star, because star she can't yeah. even be a president because they wrote it in the constitution that if you married a, a, a foreigner, he can't be a president. That's uh, yes, indeed. <laughs> it's quite <laughs> funny. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then so, but she can. But there is a president and. Now we're getting into like Burmese uh, political uh, theory. My understanding is that the pre she they underestimated her power and that her power to choose that president uh, because through the will of the people has grown over time. And they underestimated how able she would be to make sure that the person who sits in the president's chair is team NLD and not yeah. team Tatmadaw, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. So, okay. So the NLD is in power. Myanmar is still one of the 20 poorest countries in the world. This is when I get here. Uh, okay. What year was uh, it? Uh, I got there in 2018. 2018, I think, is, is when I got there. There was a mood just before. So so about about two years before I was there, a year before I was there, there was a mood, especially in you know expats, foreigners, white people, immigrants, whatever you want to call us, who came there, that Myanmar was about to become something like the next Thailand, the next, uh, the next Philippines. Like... 
like this was going to be the hipster frontier of Southeast Asia, an unspoiled, beautiful place where freedom was about to ring out from the from the rooftops. Right. And people wanted to be on the edge of history. And I knew a lot of journalists who moved there at the time because they wanted to document, you know, well, you know, so, okay, so shortly after this euphoria, the Rohingya crisis happened. Now, people who don't know anything about Burma will know about the Rohingya. If you know one word about, about Myanmar, it's, it's we, probably Rohingya. We, we forgot to mention one uh, uprising, which is the uh, one yes, I, I experienced the saffron in 2008, one. the saffron one, because I, I, I left after that. I left in 2009. Okay, I was stage, only man. I was only year eight when that happened. But I mean, it wasn't like a big one compared to like 88 or what's happening now. But that was someone where basically Buddhist monks came out in protest because the country is just going to shit. And then they just kill monks and like beat them up on the street. And they like did pretty fucked up stuff because, because you know, Myanmar is like a majority um, Buddhist country. So when they see monks getting beat up on the street, that just scared everyone into like doing anything more. Yeah, I mean the the role of the monks in the in the whole thing has been really interesting for me as well because you have, I mean, you know, for God's sake, it's Buddhism. Like it's it's you know it is fundamentally a peaceful. <laughs> it goes without saying that it's a peaceful religion, you know. But if you look at how Zen Buddhism was used in World War Two by Japanese militarists and how Theravada Buzzim yeah. has been, you there are monks in the current climate who are basically saying um shoot shoot in the head you know like uh, you yeah. know kill kill dissenters it, it is beggars belief and of course it was uh right who was the one of the chief rabble rousers uh yeah. around the rohingya thing he was a buddhist monk he basically said i, I mean I'm, I'm sure i'm misquoting him a bit but not much he's like yeah they're they're muslims they're dogs let's make sure they're all dead you know yeah. and, and, you know but, but, but and, and for the buddhists Buddhist extremists, which yeah. is so counterintuitive to the Western mind, but it shouldn't be if you think about like the Crusades and all the stuff we did in the name of Christianity. But the, the, and, and also the Tatmadaw have exerted some control over the monks as well, I think, through various means as well. And not all monks are good people. Uh, surprise, surprise. You know, some many are. It's, it's complicated, right? Um, yeah, some like some argue that. So I think there's a whole thing about Burmese people have this like I don't even want to say Islamophobia because they just kind of like equally fear all brown people in a way it's like colorism almost mm. and mm. I think it comes from like it's like a effect of colonization because one right you know um British colonized Burma a lot of because it, it wasn't British it wasn't British Empire it was British India who colonized Burma Mm -hmm. So a lot of like India and Pakistani like moved to Burma and then, you know, there's a whole divide segregation between like Burmese people, white people and then Indians. So it's color. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. The, the color. Yeah. Like color. So the, it's, it's one of the genius things that the British Empire learned through the empire was that when you when when people get angry, which they will at being colonized, they don't want to look for a guy like me to beat yeah. with sticks. That's not what we want. So we ship colored brown people in from India, give them the sticks, pay them, you know, a little bit and say, welcome to the front line of administration, yeah. uh, diffusing the, the, the racist hatred away from people who look like me 
and onto people who are browner than the people in that district, which to this day, I mean, when I was a teacher, my students would, you know, now it's like quite lighthearted because I remember them, they, they call this like kid like color, which is yeah. color, which is, which is a slur. It's very hard for me to tell how bad that slur is because, and I was like, you can't stop calling him that. And the kid was like, it's, it's okay to try. Like, I am color. Like, I am color. Like, I'm like, it's no, almost no. like N word. But, right, right, right. But, pe- but it's just so okay for people to say it there. It, they had no problem and the kid didn't seem to mind very much he was like it's true teacher like i am color like everyone says this about me and i'm like but but that's not okay like i have such a western liberal like oh you know so so it is still a slur and it's still used in discrimination and of course because many rohingya are bengali they often do tend to be darker than the Burma natives who are quite pale skin so there's yeah. there's as anything with race, there's, there's all kinds of stuff going on. Because if you look at people like Aung San Suu Kyi, like, you know, she looks like, I mean, she just looks like uh, fundamentally, she's very, she's quite light skinned as well, right? You she know, is, it's, yeah. there, is a, there is a real hierarchy of skin tone that's tied into this, this whole thing. And the British exploited that, um, as you say. Um, so, okay, so we basically come through the Saffron Revolution, which was yeah. a really good point to remind me of, and we've come all the way through to um, to the Rohingya. So, what happened there? Basically, oh, I mean, God, this is—I mean, this is extremely difficult for me to discuss. Uh, Min, do you want to take the first swing at this one? Uh, <laughs> so, so, the Rohingya um, crisis gen- uh, is a genocide. I'll call it genocide. Um, yeah so that's been happening since like way before people start caring or knowing about it you know my uncle my late uncle is dead now so he used to work for immigration in Rakhine and this guy who is like a nice Buddhist guy like otherwise and this is something that I like noticed with a lot of Burmese you know the the happy smiling faces golden land Burmese people is that Whenever, when it comes to like, you know, talking about like getting rid of people who don't belong, like who they think don't belong in the country, it's like mm-hmm. so casual. So my uncle works in immigrate, worked in immigration in Rakhine, and he used to basically tell tell a story about how they just so like whenever people try to come into Rakhine, they just like put like bags over their head, like kick them in the water. Okay. Sounds like a good immigration policy. <laughs> <laughs> because it's like no one is like documented and like no one cares if someone just like disappear. And that's how they used to do it. And like I think I don't even know what year is like the the thing that we know now. I don't I don't even remember which year it started, but it started because they said that a Burmese woman got raped by a Rohingya person. Yeah. And then that started the riots and like burning the bridge uh villages and etc. and like the military went in and like you know did like a lot of damage to to the rohingya families and not only rohingya actually because in in the rakhine border there's a lot of races there's rakhine there's like few other ethnic groups also hindu people muslim people you know yeah and they get they get the um they get attacked too they didn't like i don't think the soldiers could tell the difference between like hindus and uh rangers no they probably weren't trained in uh discriminating uh religious orientation i mean uh yeah so so i mean you've pretty much you've summed it up um so 
the the counterpoint to all of this is that there is something called the Arakan Resistance Army, which is yeah. basically is 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 an Islamic militant fundamentalist organization fighting against the Burmese authorities. Now, whether as with any conflict, who's the freedom fighters and who's the terrorist is basically up to you, the listener, to make up your own mind about. And we're certainly not here to tell you. But yeah. the Google Maps provides you with the evidence that you need to see that the Tatmadaw raised a bunch of villages to the ground. And I think that there's enough accounts of rape, murder, torture, genocide, etc. to basically agree under the, the, the UN definition of genocide is something like the deliberate attempt to exterminate a racial group of people um, by, you know, a, a deliberate attempt to wipe their culture and their people from the face of the planet. And so it does fall under UN categorization of genocide. Now, the thing about the Rohingya thing that maybe gives it a little bit of nuance is that the Tatmadaw have been fighting proxy wars, sorry, not proxy wars, fighting direct wars against ethnic resistance groups in Myanmar, like forever. That's just what they do. Yeah, so the, we have the, the longest civil war in the world. Nice. Con congratulations. <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> well done, mate. Uh, yeah, I mean, I know that there's like, there's the Kachin, there's the, I think the, there's like a Shan resist. I mean, you Chan, know, there's uh, a Shan, Karing, uh, uh, KNU, KIA, AA. Those are all like the name of, um, you know, rebel groups. Um, yeah. Yeah. And a lot, a lot of this, a lot of this, whether this gets interesting for me, and I know, I know a little bit about this because I wrote a little bit about it and went to Shan specifically. I went to the poppy fields in Shan, which is where they grow the poppies, and the poppies yeah. are used to make opium, and the opium is turned into heroin, and the heroin is sold to China to various other countries. Yeah. Uh, methamphetamine is also produced in the dark northern hinterlands of Myanmar in these terrifying factories and is then also sold across the border to china to korea to places like this the estimated gdp of all this stuff is like i think it's like 11 to 12 billion dollars a year and this is black money like if you go on wikipedia myanmar it's like legumes jade delicious beans like it yeah. doesn't account for the insane amount of black money and a lot of this prox this warfare i think is fighting for control of these drug resources is that broadly correct yeah I, I mean, so, yeah. it's. I, I read a book called Shadowlands uh, by this guy, this author. I would recommend it. Maybe I'll put a link in the bio about yeah. about the Golden Triangle area and these like yeah. they're, they're they're run by like local warlords who do business with the the junters and yeah. I heard stories about how people selling drugs like candies on the street. Apparently, there's one village you can go to. I mean, this is really completely apocryphal. Where like. The, the the drug trade occurs and it's just like bales of heroin you know bales of, you can just go and ask for anything and, yeah. and 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 now i'm really i'm getting into speculation and i maybe be careful but there are i think some border towns close to the chinese border as well where like gambling and prostitution and drug yeah. use is completely unlicensed and people come from china often china maybe some other places as well and my impression is you turn up at the hotel and you go uh, i would like you know a bunch of a bunch of methamphetamine a bunch of ketamine i'd like some girls and uh, i want to play some blackjack and they're like welcome <laughs> welcome to the hotel mate that'll be a 250 dollars you know yeah um it's some some of the border towns look more fancy than like the cities in the mainland right right but yeah. you you go there and you see or even the road signs are in chinese right Right. Yeah. And and then the, the so the, the Chinese influence on Myanmar is again uh another thorny topic. So let's try and push ahead to the end of the chronology, um, and then we can sort of take a step back. So yeah. we've covered the Saffron Revolution, we've got the we're up to kind of the modern day. So we're now 
so the so the, the Rohingya thing happens and hugely stains Myanmar's reputation internationally because yeah. people conflate the Tatmadaw, the military, with the government a lot of the time. So people say the Burmese government is murdering and raping Muslims. Uh, we thought Aung San Suu Kyi was a great darling of the liberal left. Now we have to take down all our posters of her. And what they're failing to account for is the difference between her, I don't want to say puppet government, but her like, you know, government and and the Tatmadaw military. Is that is that vaguely right, Min? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, on, on the surface, it looked like her government is in control of everything. But with when it comes to military decisions, NLD government can't say shit right. to them. You know, um, and not only that, like what makes it weird is like, so when this stuff happening at Rakhine, you know, it was NLD government who kind of signed off on the killings as well. But like, I don't know whether if it's like a military sort of trying to, you know, make it look like that or like whether she actually did it. But the fact that she went to ICJ to go on like International Criminal Court of Justice, go on the court and said that, oh, it's not a genocide. I think that basically ruined her reputation. That's exactly right. She took this weird decision to fly out by herself. And I was defend. there. I was in The Hague. Really? Was, yeah, Holy yeah. Shit. Because yeah. I don't know. I just wanted to see what it's like. And like, I like, I remember I stay at this family who now reside in Amsterdam, Levine. Uh, in Netherlands, so that family used to be rebels. So in '88, a lot of students went to the to the borders and become rebels. So they were one of those family, managed to immigrate all the way to Netherlands. And I was staying at theirs, but I, I didn't even know them before. I just like found them on like Facebook and stuff. And you know, they're really nice people. But when it comes to Rohingya, they be like, "Yeah, kill them all," you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I like I went to both sides to like talk to them. I went to the Rohingya uh, group who were like protesting, and then I went to you know the Burmese group, and then there's like the Chin and like Shan and like that kind of like um, ethnic groups who are kind of on Rohingya side just because yeah. they hate the, the Burma people. Right. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, I mean this this is why the I mean again us trying to trying to put a put a bow on this whole thing in in an hour i think i think we've got an admirable goal but we this is pandora's box everybody yeah. this is the lesson <laughs> that the british empire learned is like you can't just show up in a country with a ruler draw a bunch of lines around it and be like congratulations you're a country like people are really complicated and you are just it's so this this whole issue is fractal the more you look into it the more complicated it gets and yeah I, I, i'm gonna I, I will not say it again but again i apologize for our like you know my especially fragile basic interpretation of all this stuff but it's leading us towards what i hope is a useful goal which is just setting the stage for the current what's happening right now so yeah. that's the i think let's put a line under the rohingya thing for now we're not really yeah. here to talk about that but yeah. it is important because it it sours international uh, approval of Aung San Suu Kyi's oh, another important yeah. thing to mention is so Aung San the father of Aung San Suu Kyi actually promised and they actually signed like an agreement called Pinlong Agreement, which is to give federal state government once he's in power, but he got killed. So that never right. was achieved. And that was the the federal government dream. It's been like there since that day. And only now, because of the whole coup 
everyone is agree with agreeing with it because、uh, the whole、okay. time the Bama the majority like the majority ethnic group Bama group never really was cool with the federal state government because obviously they they in power、mm. you know but、mm-hmm. only now when the coup happened and you know while all this is happening now people starting to see that federal state government is probably the way to go right、oh, that's interesting、yeah. okay cool. Again, good, good stuff. I mean, you know, I'm not. Yeah, politically, it all gets a bit complicated. So, I arrive in Myanmar. the the mood The mood is still euphoric from the NLD victories. There is NLD graffiti everywhere. People are optimistic about the future. People、yeah. are a bit confused as to why Westerners have suddenly started telling them that they're bad people because a bunch of Rohingya have died, but are generally. Positive about the future, and the mood is very strong.、Uh, in the time I was there, there was no. I mean, you know, it's like I don't know. I mean, I mean, a lot of the people I knew were various white foreigners working with you know the UN and DFID、yeah. and various international development or, uh, organizations, and I don't think anyone was like, I don't think anyone was naive about how easy the process was going to be of like transforming Myanmar into Thailand in fifteen years, you know. But there was a mood of kind of quiet, optimistic.、Uh, things are getting better rather than getting worse.、Um, and、uh, yeah, I mean, mostly, obviously, the, the advantage of being a teacher is I got to hang out with Burmese young people and old people every day for about six hours for about two years. And obviously, I'm not going to open up a lesson with like, so Rohingya, good or bad, you know. But it did give me a bit of an insight onto what like your average kind of. The average dude, well, not average, because obviously the people I was teaching were closer to the kind of upper middle class, but a bit of a sense of what was going on, and the mood was certainly one of like a po- positive forward motion. So let's come to the present day. Thank God, we're forty-one minutes in. So my understanding of what happened is this: so in there is a statute in the Burmese law that means that any military person has to retire from the military once they hit the age of sixty-five. Now.、Yeah. What's his name? The, Me outline. Yeah, thank you. I, I won't say it. Just every time, I'll just ask him to say it. He <laughs> is the he is the、uh, the manlet、uh, ruler of the Tatmadaw. He is a diminutive frog-like man, bedecked in medals, who is currently the chief dickhead of the of the Tatmadaw, and、um, he is due for retirement in July of this year. He would have been、uh, re- formally asked to retire, and I believe, which means that then a, a replacement could be nominated by. Aung San Suu Kyi, is that correct, Min?、Um, I'm not sure about the the next person being nominated by Aung San Suu Kyi, but the fact that he will have to retire in July that is true. And the story that is out there right now is like basically he went to Aung San Suu Kyi and asked if she can make him like you know extend the thing or like make him into president or whatever.、Mm-hmm. She said no, and then that's why the coup happened. Interesting. So, so we come, yeah, we come to the coup now. So let's let's just tell the story of the coup quickly. So on February the first, while the world is worrying about its coronavirus, this and that, we had one of the most Jezekian like sorcery of the spectacle scenes I think in modern history, which is a Burmese TikTok fitness dancer doing some kind of Zumba routine in front of the state buildings in was it Mandalay or was it、Napier. was it Yangon in Naypyidaw. 
yeah. Napador is its own fascinating topic. We'll leave it oh, for yeah. now. It's super yeah. interesting. It's, it's this ghost city they built in the jungle. I went there. It's like Pyongyang. It's so weird. Anyway, Myanmar, so Yangon is not technically the capital. The capital is Napador, the seat of kings, this like creepy city they built in the middle of nowhere. Anyway, she's doing some wacky Zumba fitness dance to music. And as she's doing the dance live stream, you see a bunch of like armored vehicles and lorries roll in in the background. And what that is, ladies and gentlemen, is footage of the military coup happening uh, before our eyes in the context of a TikTok fitness video. So on February the 1st, um, the Tatmadaw annexed, uh, I guess, the, the government, declared a state of national emergency lasting one year and proclaimed themselves the caretakers of the country and, and in charge. Is that, is that right, Min? Yeah, pretty much. So I think according to the constitution, I mean, there's loads of like variation of the story, but according to according to the constitution, if if the president, so basically they accuse NLD of like vote fraud. Fraud, yeah, right. Fraud, it's, yeah. it's actually very funny. If I can drop by in for a second here, one of the funny things about it is that the the, the law they used to convict Aung San Suu Kyi of were remnants of the British colonial law that was still hanging around. There's some law of like causing a dissent and uprising or whatever and because she had some walkie talkies or something they basically yeah. they got her with like british colonial law which is still being used it's very funny anyway sorry please continue yeah like so they did that to her but um like in order to make them sound legit it's like they had to make this the vice president gave me online power and then me online can then say well i'm taking over for one year but, right. but whatever they did, according to them, it's like, well, we did it according to the constitution, so it's legit. But it's the constitution they wrote, which is what, which is why the I think the words got confused in the very beginning because they, because you know, from their point of view in the beginning, it's like it's all according to the constitution, right? Right. And vote fraud happened. Military have this power, so they can do that. I think so. But the, what we should say clearly is this is. This is terrible. <laughs> this is a yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah. This is a military dictatorship seizing power for awful reasons, and it is nothing but bad for everybody in Myanmar, except for about nine people. Uh, that that is the truth, right? Yeah. Okay. Cool. What I'm going to suggest, then, is we take a quick break, have a glass of water, uh, and then we come back, and then for the second part of the show, we'll talk about the current situation and go on from there. And thank you very much if you've made it this far through the history of Burma as told by uh, you know a couple of people. Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, uh, we'll be back with you soon for more heretics. Yeah. Just a quick note to say, this is the end of part one. I talk about taking a break. The break is more of a gap for you guys. Uh, we'll be back very soon with part two. So, you know, do your thing. Part two will be coming live soon. This is the end of part one. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, more to come about Burma and more very soon. That's it for me. Okay. Chat soon. Bye.